All right, Sarah. So thank you so much for doing this. Uh, really appreciate you joining me on this beautiful Sunday afternoon while it is pouring down rain there in, <laughs> in Pennsylvania. So uh, for anyone who has not been following me super closely on social media, well, if you have, you would definitely know who Sarah is. But if you have not been, um, Sarah's been working with me. She's been a client of mine for the past like half life. <laughs> and we've become very close friends in conjunction with like coach client relationships. So this is one of those that I've just been kind of waiting to do because I feel like this would be a great episode to just kind of allow people to see inside of what like a really healthy, I think healthy coach client relationship <laughs> would look like. Um, but then also Sarah is a, a pretty dope human being. So I'll let her talk about herself a little bit and then we'll just kind of get this conversation started. <laughs> All right. Well, my name is Sarah. Um, I am a full-time physical therapist. I'm an online coach, uh, dog mom of two crazy little puppers. Uh, and I recently transitioned fully to powerlifting. I was doing bodybuilding for about six or seven years um, and then just transitioned into getting strong spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's, uh, that's the best transition <laughs> to make, honestly. But just so much simpler. But... No, I definitely want to start with the bodybuilding background because I think that that's the best place to get this conversation rolling since that's how we started working together initially forever ago. Um, so let's kind of talk about some of your competing history, how you really got in deep into bodybuilding and into competing in bikini. And then we can kind of flow that into where powerlifting started to come in and then where that you know full transition started to take place. Yeah. Um, so I started competing, I think it was in 2006. Uh, one of my, I actually had shoulder surgery, shocker. Um, and, <laughs> uh, when I was getting back into the gym and everything, a random person came up to me at the gym and asked me if I ever competed. I said, no, he said, oh, you should try it sometime. I said, okay. And that's how I kind of got started. Uh, and then I worked with a couple different coaches and then landed with Dylan about three years in, I think it was, uh, and then competed uh, a lot of local shows, did a bunch of national shows, um, and really fell in love with with the sport and the pro the process of, you know, competing. No, oh, yeah. And just for clarity, like, whenever you say Dylan, you mean Dylan Bear. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Just, just to kind of, like, you know, go a little bit deeper for anyone who might not be familiar with who Dylan is. Um, but so... Where did bodybuilding take you? Like, how far were you able to go? Because we worked together, what, like three three years while you competed in bodybuilding? Yeah, I started with you in 2019. So, yeah, and if we want to include COVID in that, then, yeah, that would be mm -hmm. about four years. But um, so how far did your bodybuilding career go? So, like, national show-wise and stuff yeah. like that? So I, like I said, I did a bunch of local shows and then national show wise, my first national show, I think I got top 10, um, which was pretty dope. Um, and then I competed, I ended my career doing pretty much just national, like main, mainly national shows. Um, I never got top five, <laughs> but I always got first call outs. Um, and the biggest thing with that was I'll never forget in Miami, I got first call outs. I was in the middle until they turned me around and they kept moving me out because my glutes never came in like everybody else's, which at this point is fine. Um, but I know that was always my biggest downfall. Um, so I made it, I, I was very happy with how, you know, 
my bodybuilding career went. I got a lot of first places. I have a lot of trophies in my basement. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. But I would say I never, never got that top five placing at a national show. Well, just also for, for an additional clarifier, um, you were natural. I was natural, yeah. So, or still are natural, yes. but you were, <laughs> you were also natural whenever you were uh, competing at these national level shows. Mm -hmm. which, um, for anyone who might not really understand how bodybuilding works, like even at an amateur level, if you're competing at a national level pro mm -hmm. qualifier, like if you're natural, you're going to be at a disadvantage. So, to be able to get first call outs, multiple first call outs, yeah, um, get pretty close to turning pro as a natural athlete, like that's a mm -hmm gigantic accomplishment so yeah. that i would say Go ahead. yeah a lot of people actually because of my delts a lot of people always thought i was on something but i'm like no <laughs> definitely not well your structure is also pretty unique because like you're very tall and like lanky and kind of naturally lean well okay so you look <laughs> tall so that's the thing is you look tall yeah, like everyone thinks i'm tall yes so so you're not tall but your body structure looks tall so mm -hmm. i that's the the different aspect there. Yeah. But um, like you'd be competing against girls who have very different dimensions and proportions than you. Mm -hmm. So there were parts of you that were like much more easily developed. So like your delts, your mm -hmm. arms, but mm -hmm. your glutes were just always a little bit more lagging comparatively. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that was due to like your anatomical structure. It was just yeah. always going to be a little bit harder to put on like glute size versus like delt size because of your proportions, your limb lengths, all of that. Yeah. But as you competed or as you continued to compete in bodybuilding, mm -hmm. uh, there came a point where you started also transitioning into powerlifting and strength sports. Right. So that's not a very usual or natural transition for a bikini athlete to make. Like if we're talking about someone who is doing figure, which is a little bit more on like the muscular side of things mm -hmm. or or physique or any of those like more extreme divisions in women's bodybuilding, um, that's a little bit more normal. And then on the guys end, like you definitely have a lot of like hybrid athletes that will cross over that do men's physique or men's bodybuilding or classic physique or any of that stuff. And they'll also do powerlifting, but mm -hmm. bikini and powerlifting is just, like, that's, <laughs> that's not very like PB and J, you know, like that doesn't feel like it goes together extremely yeah. considering like the sports and what one would assume about each sport. So how did you start getting into that? So I always loved to lift heavy. Like deadlifting, ha even before I started competing, I loved deadlifting. And everyone knows that I still, like that's my favorite lift. I love it. Um, but what happened, so one of our good friends was a power, is a power lifter. And during COVID, when the world shut down, we didn't have a gym to go to. You know, we had to do stuff in our garage so we can only get so much equipment in there at that kind of was conducive to more powerlifting style stuff too. Um, and then the gym we went to, Powerville in uh, Philly, was the only gym that we knew that was open. And one of our, and our friend powerlifting went there. And now this was, it's like power building gym, but the their first, they have a bigger one now that you were at, but their first location was a smaller location. And so we would go up, we would drive to Philly like three days a week. And we would go lift up there and it was mainly power. Like we got into, that's how we got into powerlifting, you know, the owner and everything. And we started, you know, 
getting our techniques down and stuff like that with all the people who worked out worked out up there because they were a lot of them were power lifters um and then we decided in we were like oh let's do a meet like it'd be fun so then we decided on the meet that we did in 2021 together um that was going to be our first power lifting meet and then i was hooked <laughs> and i I'm, I'm someone who i firmly believe that a lot of people need to start with powerlifting to develop. I think it would be a big difference if you start with that. Yeah. Well, powerlifting, um, you know, done the right way, it really teaches you how to control your body and how mm-hmm. to, how to strain through difficult high loads, how to, you know, create resilient technique mm-hmm. that you can kind of carry over into other movements as well. So I, I think a lot of people get so hung up on the fact that powerlifting is bench squat deadlift. And they forget that, like, if you just get really good at bench squat and deadlift, like, a lot of that's going to carry over to other variations mm-hmm. and team variations. And, like, you just understand what your body is supposed to be doing. And a big aspect of that, too, is just getting comfortable with, like, feeling like you're going to die a lot. <laughs> you know, like, a lot. I feel like you also learn to brace better. Like, you learn to actually brace your core versus like holding your breath or like do I mean you have to hold your breath a little bit for some things but like you really learn the the true bracing of your core versus you know anything else too yeah that's definitely a big aspect a big component um I mean I have a lot of clients that I've worked with in the past on the bodybuilding end where they'll come to me and they're like pretty well developed but then as soon as we start training I'm like holy shit like have you ever trained before in your life like your technique is all over the place like you clearly don't know how to control your body like you don't know how to brace you don't yeah. know what you're supposed to be feeling. Like, you don't know how to push hard. Like, how do you look like this? <laughs> like, you know, obviously, it, it there are parallels with, like, people that are just naturally strong. But there are also a lot more, in my opinion, people that just respond very well to anything that they do in the gym in terms of, like, hypertrophy. Okay. And there's just assumption that we make in our minds that whenever someone is, like, really jacked, they just should know what they're doing. Like, they should know how to train. Yeah. And then it's kind of mind blowing whenever like you see someone who's like very well developed and like looks like they should know what they're doing. And then like you see them train and you're like, wow, like this is like yeah. a beginner, you know, like mm-hmm. like what you're capable of doing is like beginner level. So I definitely agree that like powerlifting instills a lot of really good principles for someone who's wanting to do bodybuilding later on. I think the the opposite case can re- can be made as well. But I just really don't think that a lot of people um, take the time to learn how to do the basics very well because it's so easy to get distracted in the gym. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I, mean, I mean, I've had people tell me that, like, you know, they don't like deadlifting because it hurts their back or they don't deadlift anymore because it hurts your back, which which I get to a point. But like if you're doing it the right way and you're bracing appropriately and you're doing uh, you have a good technique, it shouldn't hurt your back. Like, it's a lot of leg drive. You shouldn't, I don't know. I just noticed that like, even like some of my patients, um, they'll be like, I'll talk, I'll say I'm a power lifter. And they're like, oh yeah, I, I can't deadlift. I can't do any of that. And I'm like, well, you are. I'm making you do it here just at a lower level. Like <laughs> you're not using a barbell, but you're doing the same basic principle movements. Powerlifting is really great for getting people comfortable with doing boring shit repetitively over time and just mm-hmm. slowly progressing on that boring shit. Yeah. Whereas bodybuilding, it's so easy to get distracted by like the next variation that looks cool or like you go into the mm-hmm. 
go to the gym one day and like you see someone doing some like really weird thing and you're like wow i should be doing that or like you read an article and it talks like this this like new intensity technique and you're like wow like i should definitely be trying that and you never get comfortable just doing really basic boring stuff to the point mm -hmm. where it's like really good at it you know um so I, I think like having that sense of just like progressive overload instilled in you very early on like all right i'm gonna go in and i'm gonna squat and i'm just gonna add five pounds of my squat every single week until it's mm -hmm. really hard and then i'm gonna like recycle that and do it again mm -hmm. it's, like, that's just very hard to tell someone at the very beginning of their their fitness journey to do because yeah. Training in general, I feel like is just very like glamour. It's glamorized to the sense like whenever you look on the internet or you look on social media, there's just so many things that look cool. So like you want to try all of them out. Mm -hmm. But the reality is like most of those things aren't going to actually get you anywhere. They're just going to be like fun to take a video of or like fun to do in the moment. Right. Um, but it's really like the powerlifting-esque boring shit that will like get you the furthest if you just get really good at it. Yeah, it's, I mean, and it's all about progressive overload, too. If you're going to constantly change your workouts all the time, it's not going to, you know, I don't know. Because I had somebody tell me the other day that they're getting bored. I'm like, well, you're going to have to keep doing the same stuff for a little bit to at least get the basics down and stuff like that. Um, I mean, that's one thing about having the gym at home, too. Like, I'm not, I only have so many options <laughs> to do. I don't have all the different machines and stuff like that. So I really am doing the same stuff all the time. And I don't really miss. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, sometimes I miss doing like the, whether it's like a hip thrust machine just because it's easier to set up than a barbell or like the V squat or whatever, the hip yeah. squat thing. But like, I'm fine with, but you know me, I'm, I don't care. Like I'll do the same, I'll do the same workouts every day forever if I have to, <laughs> if it makes me get stronger. Well, I think that's a really good point too, that um, like there are certain people that feel like they can't get an effective workout in unless they have tons of equipment or unless they go to like this very well-equipped commercial gym or unless they have this this very specific piece of equipment or this machine. Mm -hmm. They're like, I can't train my lats well unless I am able to do this very particular exercise. Yeah. Um, and then there are also some people that feel like they have to continuously change things all the time. Like there has to be some novelty in their training or they're just going to get bored or things are going to get stale or they're going to plateau and they don't mm -hmm. know how to approach something consistently over time to where it's like, it should be predictable. You know, yeah. like your training should be predictable. You should understand what mm -hmm. you're doing, at least for like blocks or segments of time. Right. Yeah. But you train sometimes, not all the time, but mostly at home now. Well, I train all the time at home now. Well, there was a period where we were like going back and forth between gym. Oh, yeah. Oh, forth, Yeah. Yeah, that was, was still going to a gym. That was a while ago now, wasn't it? Yeah, we've had um as soon as we moved our gym to our basement, we which was last probably this time a little bit before probably like June of last year, we've yeah. been fully fully at home. And like what was that process like of going from like a very very well equipped gym in like commercial setting? So you when you can basically have a machine or multiple machines that hit every body part, like you have a hack squat, a V squat, a pendulum squat, a belt squat, like you have everything yeah. you could ever want. And then all of a sudden, like you move into a home gym and you start training at home and all of a sudden, like your exercise selection, arsenal of movements that you're able to pull from, it's extremely constricted and confined now. Like, mm -hmm. did you feel like whenever you did that, you were 
having to sacrifice anything or that you were going to potentially lose any muscle or strength because of making that switch and not having the same accessibility? Not really, honestly. I mean, the only way I was going to fully transition into going home, working out only at home, and I told Lewis this too, is if we got a leg press. Yeah. So I wanted the leg press um, because I needed something that besides like squat, like to with a barbell that was going to overload my legs, you know, without having to use my arms or anything either. Um, so I wanted a leg press, uh, which we ended up getting. So the only thing I will say that I really miss is my belts. I love the pit shark and the belt squat. I will get one one day, but no, honestly, because, you know, I'm someone who will push myself. I mean, obviously I have you, you know, what kind of training I like and everything like that. Um, and I know I'll push myself. Like I want to get stronger. I want to get better. So I will do what it takes with the equipment that I have. I mean, you have to think like before all this equipment came out, like all these crazy fun things, people trained with barbells and dumbbells. Like they didn't have all the fancy equipment. So it was able to be done. Um, You just have to, I think I just have a good mindset of being able to put in the work with the, with what I have. Um, And like I said, we, so we had our gym in our garage, which didn't have as, like it had like a single pulley, which wasn't really easy to use. But when we moved it to downstairs, we have a power rack. We had Lewis built us a deadlift platform. We have the uh, the leg press and we have a functional cable. So it has the two. I mean, you saw it has the two cable. So it makes we can pretty much do everything we need to do. And the dumbbells we got, we got new ones when we moved to downstairs too. They technically each dumbbell can go up to 120 pounds with like the little weights and stuff. And I don't really use anything that's that <laughs> that high. So it's just been, I personally feel like I've obviously been getting stronger as I've been working out down there. So yeah, as someone who really, really tried to go through like the whole COVID lockdown situation without having to take, like take a deliberate step back in my own fitness. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can say that the best thing that came out of that whole thing was just me understanding like how much I take for granted with having like uh, access to a commercial gym or mm-hmm. or like how much I really don't need to be able to get effective workouts in. Yeah. Um, you know, on any any time, any day that I actually want to. Like I can go out. We have basically no equipment at home. But like I can find a bullet bar, I can find like, you know, I can finagle some dip bars, like put two chairs together and make like some kind of dip station. I can like, you know, get some bands. And the thing is, is like, even with basically nothing during the lockdowns, I was like, holy shit, like I'm having these super effective workouts and like, I'm not losing any muscle mass. I'm getting stronger in different ways. My body feels a little bit better kind of. It's odd. And it took a shift in my my approach and like the way that I was viewing it. But at the same time, like there was this like overwhelming sense of like, holy shit, like I, I really don't need all of those things that like I've just grown so accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was ever a thing for you where like making that transition to just fully training at home like was so much easier because like we had all gone through like that lockdown phase. Yeah. Uh, we were I don't believe we were working together during that time, but like was that ever a thing where like while you were trying to do all that stuff, it just made it a lot easier for you to like fully accept like, all right, I don't really need like a commercial gym to be able like to. During COVID, like during COVID itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So during COVID is when we 
So at first we did like, you know, do like the outside agility stuff, which I kind of love because I used to do that all the time when I was, you know, into sports and stuff. Um, but we would go up to power. We would drive up to the gym three days a week. And that's when I would do like my three, my three lifts. Um, so I did that. And then we had some of the stuff at home. So I didn't really go, if I had to do like the, you know, workout, I think I did it maybe for like a week with like doing, using chairs and, you know, stuff like that. I don't think I could continue to work at home, at home doing work out at home doing that still. Um, but having like a, a gym in my basement, I feel like is different, but if I had, you know, use laundry detergent for curls and <laughs> all that stuff forever. I don't think I could do that. I think I did it for like two weeks and I was like, this is awful. Dude, that's what I was at. Like I was having to do that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, I still had good workouts when I did it, but it's not something that I would want to sustain for a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. It was very like primal type of workout, but, (laughs) and that's definitely not something I would want to do. Uh, Like I definitely would never want to have that happen again to where I was like restricted to only using like milk jugs and, (laughs) ottomans and stuff to be able to lift but you can't yeah well it was that i think that was the the biggest thing for me was like i just i had gotten so comfortable with having access to like these extremely specialized machines all the time like these very heavy dumbbells like lifting extremely heavy with Mm -hmm. extremely specialized equipment that i thought that that's what i needed otherwise like i wouldn't be able to get effective workouts and then it was like all right i have body weight and i have a few bands and i have like a few Oh, yeah. bells and dumbbells. It's like, yeah. And all of a sudden, like, I was still getting my ass kicked. I was like, wow, <laughs> I am very capable of getting good workouts in with pretty much yeah. nothing. Um, it's just how you approach it and how you like view it. Because, like, I still will have clients come through every once in a while that they just assume that's like to work with me, they need like access to the state of the art equipment, you know, mm-hmm. like, otherwise, they're not going to be able to take advantage of it. And that's not true, really. You know, yeah. like, part of, part of having a coach is like the coach's ability to like take what they have or take what the client has and like make that best fit for like what their goals are. Yeah. And like, luckily right now, what your goals are, are much more conducive to being able to train at home because you don't super specialized equipment to bench Mm -hmm. lift. Um, but just in general, I think that most people overestimate how much specialized equipment actually matters for getting like 99% of the way there. Yeah, definitely. I agree. So as we're moving on, like through the rest of your bodybuilding journey, since yeah. you've gotten tangential and course, <laughs> um, so bodybuilding turned into powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a period though where you were competing in both. Yes. So I think that's something that would be interesting to touch on. And we've talked. I think we've done we've done a live about this before, where yeah, yeah. a little a little bit ago. But um, how was that? And how difficult was it to try and do bodybuilding at the same time as powerlifting and what were those time differences whenever you were competing and doing both um it was awful <laughs> uh but no it was, i mean it was good i did so as i mentioned we planned to do our first powerlifting meet uh my husband lewis and i did it together um so we competed in february of 2021 and then four weeks later I competed in a bodybuilding show. It was the Natural Ohio, I think. Uh, and they were four weeks apart. So sounded good in theory. You know, I was like, 
I'm going to be cutting weight to the do this powerlifting meet because I was going to compete at 114, which was kind of close to where my stage weight was going to be. So you'd only have like a couple pounds to lose before the bodybuilding show. So I'd crush this and then, you know, go do that. So it sounded great. You know, everybody was on board. No, I mean, people said I was kind of crazy, but at the same time, you know, let me do it. So we did the powerlifting meet. It went really well. Uh, But most people after a powerlifting meet take time off, like at least a couple days or, you know, a week. I went right back to the gym, I think the next day, um, because I had to do cardio and I left crying. Um, I think I cried every day the first week I was back because I was exhausted and I was like trying to still push, you know, get good workouts in and everything uh, because I was four weeks out. Um, My food was low. So I was, you know, I was just exhausted. Uh, But I did end up winning overall at the show. (laughs) So it ended up fine. Um, but I did say immediately after, like, never again am I doing a powerlifting meet and a bodybuilding show four weeks apart. Um, so that was the first. And then, and then I got married, like, two months later. So I was like the first six months yeah. of 2021 was just insane. Um, yeah, so that was that was actually the only time I technically did both in the same year. I was going to this year, but then I fully transitioned to powerlifting instead. Yeah. So I definitely want to talk a little bit about like what that experience was like with trying to do both because doing the meet and then bodybuilding show, like you said, it's not optimal. Um, There are different ways that you can go about doing it. So like you could also do the reverse where you can beat in bodybuilding first and then powerlifting after. I think that doing it the way that you did it was probably the best way of doing it in terms of like, like if there were like, yeah, that or if like you do it in your off season. Like if I competed oh, my in my off season, that would be one thing. But I wanted to compete at that level because I wanted to break the records. Yes. So that's that's where I where I went. But yeah, more so like if you're going to compete back to back like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Other like, way. Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> um. But the the interesting part about doing both of those is that while there are some similar similarities in terms of like yeah, you have to lift for both of them like mm-hmm. right and there is like some diet component like especially with what you were doing like you were cutting and mm-hmm. trying to, to get into a specific weight class that you were competing in for for powerlifting but other than that like there's a lot of differences between how you train for powerlifting how you train for bodybuilding and then how you're supposed to be eating uh how you're supposed to be recovering like very 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 different so the fact that you were able to do well in both is pretty interesting <laughs> In theory, like you would not be able, you have to sacrifice something to do one or the other, especially around the same time like that. So much less like, you know, if you're doing the off season, like that's fine. It's still difficult. You're having to like, you know, choose or sacrifice like some of your off season and one for the Mm -hmm. other, but doing them that close to each other is like, that's, that's really making some, some difficult decisions as like how you're going to train. So if I'm remembering right, since that was a while ago, if I'm remembering right, we did a lot more of like, hey, we're going to focus on like your main movements. We're going to focus on bench squat deadlift, like getting really technical on those, making sure that you're comfortable doing them. But we're going to build a lot of like your strength, a lot of your volume on more like bodybuilding specific movements. If I'm also remembering right, I think we had like a 
an accessory day in there that was just like a lot of like volume that we yeah. catch up with that we don't have in your training anymore. Yeah, it was like squat bench dead and then the accessory, the accessory, it's like a secondary upper, but it was like a lot of accessory work except for biceps and triceps. Yes, except, except for biceps. <laughs> but, um, but no, like I think if that's something that as you start to go up, like the, the hierarchy of levels and competing, it becomes obviously more and more challenging to do that. So like mm-hmm. for a pro in, in bikini and bodybuilding and also a pro in powerlifting, like that becomes less and less feasible to be able to do that just mm-hmm. because the margin of error is so much lower at, at those heights of your sport. Right. What injury, like you don't want yeah. your, your body's really fragile when you're in a bodybuilding prep. So trying to lift, you know, or squat heavy weight, you know, your body is definitely more fragile than it is if, you know, a heavier state. And that's another thing too. Like we really had to work around your, where you were recovery and fatigue wise and like where your body's capabilities were during that whole process, which I mean, it's not always super easy because we're trying to obviously make sure that you're staying as on course as possible for like the meet that you're doing, making sure that like you're building and retaining as much muscle as possible for the show afterwards, but also like keeping you healthy, making sure that you're not going to get injured because you get injured during everything. So like, that's another part too. Like, um, if you want to talk briefly about like some of the injuries that you've had to, to deal with in like the past couple of years, yeah. adds a little bit more layer from <laughs> like what is already a relatively complex situation, having to yeah. both powerlifting and bodybuilding. So, so since we've been together, I would say the first actual probably injury that I had was probably after the first powerlifting meet when I had an issue from dead, my last deadlift and I had like an issue with my thumb, which was something we had to wear. I had to wear like that little thing on my hand, which like during, again, we were training for the four weeks out from a bodybuilding show. So I had to like figure that out. Um, but that was, that didn't really last long. That was just a couple days. Um, after the 2021 season, um, I had surgery on my wrist. So that was a, uh, I had surgery in December on my wrist. That was a, like a three month recovery. And then a little bit longer where we, we couldn't really do much upper. So like my bench movements, things like that, we couldn't really do. I did a lot. I was at the gym at that time and pretty much lived on the pitch arc for legs, um, because that was like one of what well, was one of my favorite things, but I could, you know, lift really heavy with that versus I couldn't get the weight up onto the leg press because of my wrist. So we kind of stuck with the pit shark. Um, and then I've had like random like back tweaks here and there, usually only lasting like a day or two, anything like that. Um, the most recent uh, was two weeks out from this powerlifting meet. I threw a, I have a seven year old little brother. And I threw a baseball with him for two hours uh, and my arm was not used to that. So I had some pretty gnarly tendonitis in my shoulder for two weeks out from the meet. Um, What else? I have issues with my left knee that we deal with constantly. Um, It hyperextends and causes me problems sometimes. I rolled my ankle walking down the gym steps. One day, uh, most of my injuries don't come from lifting. A lot of them come from doing things outside of the gym, um, hitting my head on things, running into things, just doing stupid things. Um, so Bryce tells me constantly that I need to be wrapped in bubble wrap. 
um, especially when we get close to any sort of competition because I am prone to injury. But the one thing that annoys me, not annoys me, but people are always like, oh, Sarah, she always gets hurt from like, you know, she should probably stop lifting, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They never come from the gym. It's always doing stupid stuff outside of the gym. Or yeah. after, yeah, say after my wrist surgery, I, we recovered and then my dog got out and I had to sprint down a busy road and I ate shit, rolled over, fell on my wrist again. And then I was in a brace again for my wrist for eight weeks. Yeah. And that that's something that is really common. Not all of the injuries that you've had and like not, you know, falling and, and eating shit. But um, in terms of like having most of your injuries come from outside of the gym or just like mm-hmm. random things that happen. I feel like most people, whenever they see someone who gets hurt, who is like a gym enthusiast or who is like a bodybuilder or powerlifter, like they just automatically assume like, oh, like, what'd you do that deadlifting? Or, oh, like, exactly. like what'd you do in the gym this time? You know, it's like most injuries from, for people that are like really strong or like really muscular, mm-hmm. they're not in the gym because in the gym, you're actually focused on what you're doing. Like right. you, un- you, like you understand where your body is. You understand how mm-hmm. to race. You like, okay, this is heavy weight. I need to be focused. I need to take it right. seriously. So most people don't get hurt in the gym because their head's in it. It's mm-hmm. when outside of the gym, not thinking about it, not paying attention, yeah. and you take a wrong step and you roll your ankle on a step, or wrong wrong step, take roll your ankle on like a yeah. stair, um, or like you slip on ice, or you know, like you're playing with your dog and like you mm-hmm. add on something. It's like it's the dumbest shit that most people get hurt doing and very rarely in the gym whenever you're lifting heavy or you're doing like a one rep max or or anything where you would expect there to be a higher level of risk or danger for like injury. It's usually the absolute dumbest sources that actually get people injured. So yeah, even my back, like a lot of times my back is just sore, like even like on rainy days and stuff like this, because when I was, a freshman in college, um, I was in a back brace for six weeks because I had two stress fractures in my low back because I slipped going up moss on climbing a waterfall. And I fractured, I had like two stress fractures in my back. So like before we started working together, I had an injury on my back and I had tr- surgery on my shoulder. So it's just, it is what it is. So. Yeah, I mean, injuries are unavoidable whenever you're a in a sport like powerlifting or bodybuilding, um, if you're doing it long enough, like you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Not something that's avoidable. I think it's very frustrating for a lot of people to accept that, hey, I do this long enough. Eventually, I'm going to tweak my back. Eventually, I'm going to develop tendonitis. Eventually, I'm going to have a muscle strain or, you know, God forbid, mm-hmm. a muscle tear. It's just a repetitive injury or not a repetitive injury thing. It's, it's a repetitive risk thing, repetitive danger. Right. Yeah. I'm like, even if, your risk of tearing your biceps when doing a biceps curl is 0.00001%. If you do a million bicep curl reps over your lifetime, like all of a sudden that becomes more and more and more and more likely prevention mm-hmm. and you're holding 400 pounds over your chest. Like, are you capable of doing it? Yeah. Like strength wise, you might be capable of doing mm-hmm. it, but your tendons, your muscles, your structures, they can only do that so many times before something mm-hmm freak just happens mm-hmm. so like that was something that like for me i always intuitively understood whenever i was at my biggest and strongest yeah even though i was like big and strong in the gym i knew that like outside of the gym 
I was pretty fragile because I was always in pain. My joints were hurting me. Like I was, I would tweak something just like standing up wrong, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not resilient to anything. So there's a high likelihood that if I, you know, have to turn quickly or if I have to run from a dog that gets out in the neighborhood, like I'm going to hurt myself. Right. Yeah. So I, that was a big impetus for me to like start really changing like my style of training towards less strength, less like mm -hmm. building more towards. All right. Like I just I want to make sure my body is feeling good and taken care of. Like, yeah. But um, but now I've shifted back to you. Mm -hmm. You're in pure, pure powerlifting mode now. So now we've, we've dropped bodybuilding, mm -hmm. purely focused on powerlifting. And you just did a meet. I did. Yes. So where is your powerlifting at right now? And what are some of like the near term goals, near term outlook for some of the meets that you have planned? Um, so, well, we did a meet in March and then we just did a meet this past weekend and I competed in two different weight classes. Um, so the first meet I did 114 and now from here on out, I'm going to stick with the 56 kg, which is 123 pounds. Um, so one, I can, it's more of a natural weight for me. So we can train at a more comfortable weight where I don't have to cut as much weight, which I think played a big role as well. Um, so this past meet, we hit my goal. Sorry, flash flood warning. Uh, we, <laughs> we hit my goal of uh, getting 400 dots, which is just the um, kind of like a scoring system for powerlifting. So this qualified me for the national meet in Vegas. So not only the national meet, but like the primetime event, which is pretty cool. I'm going to be a really small fish in a really big sea. Um, probably one of the smallest lifters in the primetime event, but I'm okay with that. Um, so I would say a near, so deadlift, we, what did we hit? We hit 347 this past meet um, and I failed 350 what was it, 352 or 354 or something. Um, so I would say my my biggest goal right now is just to hit that 354 because I failed it twice. Um, and we kind of talked about it because I couldn't get it past my knees both times. So we're going to kind of adjust training a little bit to work on that. Um, so I really think that's going to that's gonna work. But I would say my closest, besides that, my goal for deadlifts uh, is probably like 365. See if we can hit that, and then eventually four oh five. Oh my god, my whole house is shaking. Are you oh. here? Yeah. <laughs> um, probably four oh five for deadlifts. Uh, squat, I think would be cool to hit, like two seventy five, and then dead uh, bench, we hit one forty eight. No, we hit one fifty. I've hit one fifty five. I would say like 175 would be cool. That'll probably take some time, but yeah, I would say I, I have some hefty goals, especially for deadlift. Um, but I think with fully transitioning into it now, because even going into this this year, I was planning on competing in a bodybuilding show in April. Um, so we were kind of doing both the beginning of the year until like two weeks after the first meet. And I was like, no, I'm going to stick with powerlifting. So now is really the first time that we're fully doing powerlifting so i think it's going to make a big difference in how my numbers progress because we put on was like 60 pounds to my total yeah. and 
you know, so I'm curious to see where we're at in a couple, the next meet is in 12, 11 weeks. So curious to see where we're at then. No. And as you continue to get more focused on powerlifting, you're just going to get better and better and better at it because as much as you've been lifting for a long time, like you're still a beginner with powerlifting. Like, Oh yeah, definitely. Like, My it, technique has changed so much in the last, even the last couple months, like making sure my hand placement is even on the bar for deadlifts and <laughs> but even like squat bench, like my bench has gotten so much better over the last couple months so I'm still learning what works best for me especially now doing it at this body weight like learning what feels best for me no and I, I think it's important too to like talk about how that transition was from bodybuilding to powerlifting not from like a a training or nutrition or technique perspective, but more so from like, like how difficult was that for you to like make that judgment call? Because you were a bodybuilder for a long time. Like that's, that's what you started with. And there was a sense of like leaving something unfinished because you had come relatively close to turning pro. And I knew that that was a big goal of yours. Um, being on the national stage multiple times, getting top, you know, first call outs, um, getting what well, you didn't get top five, but like, you know, top six, right? Yeah. Yeah. So close, close to turning. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you hated bodybuilding. Like you still. No. Yeah. yeah. So like what, what was that decision like for you or that process like to be able to actually make that full transition away from bodybuilding towards powerlifting and feel comfortable and confident in doing that? So it was really hard actually um so after the first powerlifting meet this year um it was actually that night i went out to uh my friend Kristen lewis and i went to i think it was buffalo wild wings we were just sitting there and we were talking and my my prep going into this first uh powerlifting meet was really challenging um just food wise and mentally and stuff like that so i think that kind of played a role in it too um, just because I wasn't really enjoying that aspect of it. So I didn't really know how much further I wanted to push myself bodybuilding wise this year. Um, just knowing, you know, hormones and everything like that. And all of that played a big role too. you know, Lewis and I at one point are probably going to want to have kids. And I was like, how much more do I want my body to go up and down with hormones? Um, and I I think everybody saw how happy I was after my powerlifting meet, like how I was just so excited. I mean, we got second place. That was cool. But I was just so excited. Like I get so excited during powerlifting meets. Even if I fail a lift, I'm smiling. Like <laughs> I'm like cracking up the whole time. I have so much fun. Um, so I think that was a big thing too so you know everyone including you told me you know don't make the decision right now like because I'm very spontaneous in this decision making like I'm like oh, I'm gonna do this like this is what we're gonna do so everyone was like you know take a week think about it you know think about what you really want to do um so that's what I did you know I thought about it and every time I thought about doing a bodybuilding show I love bodybuilding I will never say anything bad about bodybuilding like I know people when they're done sometimes they kind of hash at it or whatever but I loved it um you know but like show day and all of that it's so much fun to show off your hard work but I think I did that for so long and I did really well and I think I got to the point where I was like if I don't go pro like 
whatever at this point. You know, I've done it for so long. I'm really happy with the physique I was able to obtain. I wasn't going to do drugs. Like, it just wasn't in, like, it wasn't for me. Like, I don't have anything against people who want to. But for me personally, I didn't want to. And I felt that with my current genetics and my body, I was going to have to if I wanted to reach that level within the next year or two, like, of, of pro. And I just wasn't going to do it. So um, after thinking about it and talking to Lewis about it, like every night we would talk about it, um, he was like, well, I think you've already made your decision. Like, you know what you want to do. Um, so then we hopped on a call. I like we were going back and forth with it all week. Um, and then we hopped on a call and, you know, you were secretly really excited. And I think that I decided to go to powerlifting. <laughs> so uh, and I think it was the best decision for me. And I think everybody knew that uh, because I, again, I really enjoy it. I love getting strong. Like, and I love, I, you don't realize how fun a powerlifting meet is until you go to one. Like we just had, she actually is with me too. She came to my powerlifting meet in Texas and now she wants to do a powerlifting meet because there's like the energy is so much different at a bodybuilding show you go to cheer on your teammate or your friend, whatever. You don't really care about anybody else. Like, it's cool to see the other physiques, but you don't, on it, like, you don't. You want to see your friend win or you want to win, whatever. At a powerlifting meet, everybody is screaming for everybody. And, like, the community around it is so fun. Um, I've met so many people. I was afraid to go to Texas because I was like, I don't know anybody. Like, usually we, we would do the meets at a local gym, like the Powerbuild gym, and we're like, we're going to have to ask people if we can like warm up with them. I'm just like, I'm a pretty, you know, bubbly person for the most part, but I was still nervous. But everybody was so chill, so friendly. Like I met so many people and it's just a different vibe. And I, I think it's just really fun for me right now. So I'm glad I made, it was definitely a hard decision because closing that chapter, I did it for so long. It was who I was. I was the, like a bodybuilder, um, but it's been really fun to transition. And I think another thing that is really cool is my family, like my dad and stuff, was always supportive of my bodybuilding shows. I think they came to like two of them. Um, but they didn't really, like, again, I have a little brother who's seven. They don't really want him going to look at a bunch of girls' butts all day, you know, at a show. <laughs> um, but they came to the powerlifting meet you were at. And when I was in Texas with the live stream, my whole family live streamed it like and watched it. And I just like that means a lot to me that they like actually want to like be there and watch and stuff like that too. Because it's yep. a, again, it's it's so different. With powerlifting, it's also so much easier to understand for like the layperson as well. Like yeah, you, you can come in and introduce someone new who's never been to a powerlifting meet or never been associated with powerlifting. Mm -hmm. You can show them what's going on and immediately it's very intuitive they're like okay cool like if you get this that's good if not that's yeah bad. yeah it, it will either do it or you can't well to a point like a with point. like stuff yeah. like that but like you can either lift the weight or you can't yeah but taking someone new to a bodybuilding show is very confusing <laughs> like Especially a high level like national show where everybody looks insane it's like, how do you, like, they don't understand how people choose the different physiques and stuff. And it's funny, too, like, because even whenever I started, like, I started doing this. I still would look mm -hmm. at physiques and be like, I don't fucking, I can't tell you. Like, they all look the same to me, you know? Like, yeah. 
like, yeah, they all look great on stage, but like, I couldn't tell you who's first, mm -hmm. who's 10th right now. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not sure. Again, at like a regional show, you can tend to see like who is right. meant to be doing this versus who's just kind of doing this for fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but at national shows, at pro shows, bodybuilding is very confusing because it mm -hmm. is so subjective and the subjectivity is not consistent. It, it changes all the freaking time, which yeah. for me as a coach sucks. I hate oh, it. Yeah. It pisses me off. I've had so many clients where I'm like, we got fucked. We got screwed. <laughs> we judge. And like, I can't do anything about it. And for, for bodybuilding, it's brutal because like you can go through like a 25 week prep just to stand on stage for 15 minutes and get screwed over by the judges. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and your, fa your family's there, but they don't understand what's going on. And it's like, it's they see just, you for 10 seconds on stage. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like, it can be very, very confusing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Whereas powerlifting is just, it's so much more straightforward. Yeah. Um, and like you said, like there is much more of that community aspect versus in, well, it can be catty and kind of like, you know, like well, anything, anything, <laughs> else, anything else. Right. But like, um, but compared to bodybuilding, where the teams in bodybuilding typically are much more like like claws out type of thing, where it's, it's very closed off, very clicky, um, and there's much less of that general hospitality community. Our own thing, yeah, like you said, everyone just mostly wants to see everyone else do well, you know? Yeah. Um, like if, like in, in bikini, like you wouldn't ask somebody else's coach to like adjust your tan or something yeah like in powerlifting like i told you there was another coach there and i was talking with her the whole time now she was helping me you know we were talking the whole time and even lewis was you know putting like helping in the back everybody like putting their stuff on you know chalking things like that you wouldn't ask like you could ask anybody for help at a powerlifting meet versus like at a bodybuilding show you're not really going to go ask another coach question now, if you were there, obviously, I would have asked you questions. But like, at the same time, like, we would all be talking, I feel like, versus that doesn't really happen at bodybuilding shows. At bodybuilding shows, too, there are coaches that just go to try and poach clients. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's funny because even whenever you were competing, I was like, she, like she's she's fine. Like, like someone else will, will help her. Like, if she has a question, like, I was yeah. doing that's to, to text you and, like, keep up with you because I couldn't make the trip this time. Right. But... I wasn't worried about like someone stealing my client from me because I wasn't able to attend this meet, you know, but I mean, at this point, I told you you're stuck with me forever. So it's fine. <laughs> but like, it's crazy because with bodybuilding, that that's a general concern. Like oh, yeah. if, if you're a coach and like, you don't go to your client's show, mm -hmm. like there's a high probability that that client will not be your client after that show because some coach is like, a bigger coach also like, yeah, it's like another big coach. And some coaches are going to swoop in and start like whispering in their ear and get them uh, to switch over to them, you know? So it's like, it's crazy how, um, how bodybuilding can be like that. It's like kind of like a bunch of snakes in the grass at times where you're not really sure like who's your friend versus like who's mm -hmm. trying to get something from you, which it, it, again, it can be like that in anything, but with bodybuilding, I've just, I've found that it could be a bit more like that. And I think yeah. that it's a product of the sport being the way that it is, you know? Yeah. Um, which it has its pros and cons, but powerlifting definitely feels much more of like, hey, I'm just going to show up. I'm going to do this shit. Going to get it done. Like we're going to have much more of a support system that's healthy and everyone's going to be happy for me if I win. And if, if I lose, it's also going to be totally fine. Like my coach is not bro. even like as cool as it is to like obviously like win a meet. Like I knew going into this meet, I wasn't winning the meet. Like I like yeah. I just I knew I wasn't. And 
but I went like I still had so much like powerlifting is really like you versus you. You want in bodybuilding, you obviously want to improve your physique every time, but you have a like subject like you have an objective number. Like I want to get this number. Like this is what I hit last time. I want to beat that. Yeah. Like I it's it's your past numbers, your past performance versus what you're going to be able to hit this meet. And I think you know. So I said like at nationals at this event, I'm gonna be like the other person in my in my weight class. Her opener is like 360 for deadlift, and I'm like. <laughs> But I don't care. Like I, I'm like I want to hit three fifty three, and I'll be happy. Like, <laughs> so and that's and that's what it is. You know, it's a lot different with like you don't you don't go necessarily to win. You go to to beat yourself from last time. No, I think that's a really great way of putting it as well. Yeah, um, and there's a lot more that's under your control, mm-hmm. which I think is also a big draw of powerlifting compared to bodybuilding. Whereas with bodybuilding, it feels like nothing is in your control because it's all up to like the judges mm-hmm. whereas in powerlifting it's like if i get if i complete my lifts if i go nine for nine like mm-hmm. i did everything i could and if someone still beats me then they were better than me i can't right. i can't argue with that and like some people argue with like depth or you know this or that call whatever mm-hmm. but for the most part it's like yeah. you understand like who was better that day and who mm-hmm. got you and like if you came out of nowhere and beat someone who like maybe you shouldn't have beat because like they were a little bit stronger than you but they missed the lift it's like you showed up and they they fucked up that day right, right. so like, it all it all washed out in the end but um one thing i wanted to, to talk to you about as well while we were on here was you getting into like the online coaching world. Mm-hmm. um you've obviously been working with coaches for years now whether it's dylan or or i um so you've been exposed to it quite a bit so what what made you get to the point where you're like, I'm ready to do this. I think that I like have the ability, I have the knowledge, I am capable of doing it. I think I can be successful doing it. Like you still have your your normal nine to five job. You still have like you haven't quit that yet. Mm-hmm. What allowed you to kind of like take a chance on yourself and get comfortable with you feeling like you can do this? Yeah. So when I started bodybuilding, you know, it wasn't as big of a thing. And I actually had a lot of people reach out to me asking me if I coached and everything like that. I was in PT school and I was like, no, like, I don't have the time for this. Like, because I didn't. I, you know, I was competing and I was in a doctorate program. Like, I was not going to be doing anything else on the side. Um, and I mean, looking back, I kind of wish I didn't. But um, so I worked with a couple different coaches before Dylan and you know I learned so much with Dylan um with his approach and I've learned obviously so much from you over the last over the last you know four years like it's it's actually kind of crazy and with my background of you know physical therapy I understand basic anatomy and physiology and you know more than basic but I understand all of that you know um and so I started probably like two years ago now, uh, a little over two years ago. One of my best friends asked me about working out and, you know, she had a baby who is four now and she asked me if, like, for advice. We used to train together. She's been like my best friend since like seventh grade. We trained together in college and stuff like that when, you know, we were mainly like cardio bunnies and doing some strength training. Um 
And I said, yeah, you know, just come over, you know, we'll have you work out in our, I didn't want her to spend money on a gym membership. Right. Um, cause she didn't need to. And I was like, you know, come over, we'll start training. And she trained in our garage. She came over three days a week. Um, and we didn't even do like nutrition and stuff at first. She just, we needed to do one thing at a time. <laughs> Couldn't throw everything at her at once. I know how she is. Um, so she was killing it with the with the lifts and she lost weight. Her her physique changed. And then she's like, you know what? I want to add in nutrition. I was like, okay. So I, she was like my guinea pig to see if like I really did know like what I was talking about, you know, and I did a course. Um, I was actually going to go through a program for um, like a dietitian tech program. So I actually did a couple courses and, you know, I did like a life cycle nutrition course where I learned everything from, you know, birth through pregnancy through death pretty much of like what you know you need and all that stuff um but then it got to the point where I was like I have my doctorate I don't really want to continue to go to more schooling right now so I kind of used what I learned with those courses and uh worked with her for her nutrition she looks awesome like she's lost she's actually only lost like 20 pounds but she looks like she lost like 50 pounds because of adding the training and all of that stuff like her body just completely you know transformed um and then lewis was my second guinea pig um so he wanted to do a cut for the powerlifting meet that we did so he was around i think like 150 and he wanted to compete at 136 i think it was um so he wanted to because again he wanted to break the records so so i did his cut for that um, and we got him really lean. And uh, then I had somebody else reach out to me and ask me if I did coaching. And at that time, I was, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll take on like, like I'll take on a client, you know, and she's with me for like a year and a half now. And we took her through a cut, took her through a reverse. She's um, wanting to do a powerlifting meet, uh, which is pretty awesome. I'm excited for that. Um, but then I, you know, after I started posting her and stuff, I was like, you know what? I, and like, I saw her progress and, you know, I knew, I knew what I was doing. Like I get, I've learned so much, um, over the last couple of years and I'd been through the good, bad and ugly with dieting. I had the only eat five different food options with no seasoning and, you know, all of that fun stuff that nobody enjoys. Um. So I didn't want people to think that that's what they had to do. Because even at work, people are like, oh, are you allowed to eat that? I'd have like a wrap. I'm like, it's a chicken wrap. Like, yeah. yes, I can eat this. It, but because it wasn't chicken, broccoli, rice, they didn't think I could eat it. Um, so then I decided after seeing, you know, um, you know, uh, Aaron and um, Jordan and all their successful you know, clients and stuff like that. I was like, well, why don't I take a chance on myself? But it was a really hard decision. I think we talked about it too. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, I'm, I don't I really like taking chances on myself all the time, um, just because I get nervous about everybody, like everybody else, you're a failure and things like that. Um, but now I have pretty much like a full roster for what I can handle right now with my full time job, and my clients are killing it, and I'm like loving it. Like, I love helping people and seeing their progress and. You know, I've had multiple clients tell me like that it was such a good it's it was like the best decision they made and that they've like the progress they've made and having the support from me because I do everything on an app so they can communicate with me through there like whenever they need it pretty much. And 
it's just been probably one of the best decisions I made was taking that chance and being able to help more people because that's why I got into even physical therapy. Like I love helping people. Um, so being able to do that in two different ways is, is pretty cool. Like, did you ever go through a period of like having imposter syndrome as you started getting more people asking you to help them as you started taking on more people, as you started getting a little bit more busy and maybe going into a little bit more depth with certain types of training styles or nutrition strategies where you're like, do I really know enough to be doing this? Like, did you ever have those moments where you're like, shit, like, yeah, especially, yeah, especially with, so I have, I don't really do just like training only anymore, but I have a client who started with me like before. Um, and she really wanted to do the big three. You know, I think a lot of people get attracted to that by me because I, I did transition into that. Um, so she was like, I really want to get stronger in, you know, squat bench and deadlift. And I was like, do I know enough about powerlifting <laughs> to be able to do this? But, you know, even we talked about it because I helped Lewis with his one prep. So we were able to talk about, you know, how to go through a, a powerlifting prep. So with that and just kind of, I looked back at all of my old stuff and was like taking notes and like figuring out how you did stuff. And, you know, uh, Lewis did a prep one time and I was like looking through his stuff. And so she's increased her like all three movements so much. And it's been so awesome to see. But that's definitely a thing where I'm like where I was like, I don't know if I I know enough about this, Um, even with nutrition, like some people you know, they have different like comorbidities and stuff like that, that you have to worry about. Um, one, I had a client who went through, like she got her boobs done. So I was like, well, I don't know anything about this. So I had to like, well, <laughs> I had to look at that. Um, I currently have somebody who's actually getting a breast reduction. So I'm like going through like going at that. And then one of them are, um, is also, trying to conceive so making sure you know they're getting the appropriate nutrients and all that stuff too is really important um so yeah definitely you know have to continue to do like your continuing ed of other things that you don't know about and if i ever have any questions i know i can always reach out to different people especially like Paige from ba and you know anybody really like everybody from ba i think i can probably reach out to anybody from p2 like if i have any questions obviously probably yielding first but um you know i'm fine with going to like talking to chris or anybody else too so there's so many people in my corner that i could go to if i had any questions yeah, i think that's a that's a really important thing because like whenever i started with this i felt like i had to do everything on my own like i didn't want help from anyone like any like people would give me advice like jordan and aaron would give me advice like for free like all the time yeah. Like they would have me to come over and like they would just like sit me down and like tell me the things that I needed to do. Like just you're like no, yeah. And I was like, dude, I don't need that shit. It's fine. I'm I'll do this myself, right? Like I just didn't listen to anyone. Yeah. Uh, like obviously years later, like I was like, oh, maybe I should have just listened and saved myself <laughs> time and energy and like you know anguish. But um, like my my thing with with coaching and my thing with like running an online business has been it's never been about like the the technical knowledge. Like that's never been hard, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. I'm never struggling during my day being like, oh my God, like I need to create a program. But I just, I have no idea how to do it. Right. Or like yeah. someone asked me a question and I have no clue like how to answer that question mm -hmm. or like client that needs X, Y, Z, very specific thing. And I'm just like, it's so out of my like wheelhouse. Like I just don't have mm -hmm. the, like I, 
granted, like I've been doing this for such a long time, like maybe that's right. just easier for me. But like the things I've always struggled with in business or with running a business, it's been the business. It's never like being able to coach people. Like, and it's funny because like as I've been going through the process, I've like been like, oh, Bryce used to do this and now he does this, which is like what I'm like starting with because obviously I've been with you from before P2. So I've seen you transition from, you know, not really having that business to having the business that you have where, you know, everything is much or like very organized and, you know, even with like payments and, and stuff like that. Like I've learned a lot through that even because I mean, now I see I see the changes that you've made over the years that I'm kind of starting before, like at that point, rather than, you know, where you were in the beginning. One thing that's really important for most people to understand is that the reason that people will give you advice is because they've made those mistakes before. <laughs> and they're like, dude, believe me, you think <laughs> that you know it, but you don't know. And eventually you're going to get to the point where you you fuck everything up and you're uh-huh. going to think that you would have just saved yourself so much pain by just doing this right now. Mm-hmm. And like that's for me where I'm at. I, like I'll have conversations with people. I'm like, dude, just just do this small thing right now. It's yeah going to be annoying for like a week but like bear down get it over with because it's going to make your life so much easier in two years but a lot of people can't think that far out they're like that's i I don't care about two years from now i just care about like what's happening tomorrow or i just like i'm so swamped i don't have the time i just need to you know keep my head above water with my client work or my emails or whatever today and i can't think about doing something a little bit harder that's going to make my life easier for a time that like i don't even care about Right. That was me for such a long time. Like something as simple as like creating an LLC. I was like, I don't <laughs> like, I don't like, I'm just not going to worry about that. Like, I, I listen like two seconds. Dude, trust me. I, you don't need to tell me. All right. Like, I had problems back in the day, but like things like, like creating an LLC, things like creating like a business name, like having a specific domain related email, like anything, a logo. Like, those were all things I was like, I'll do it one day. I'll do one. Like, I just, I just kept. Yeah. The one thing that's nice is Lewis is like very, uh, like artsy. Like he's always like, like the graphic design and stuff like that. So once we came up with the name, which is strong Fifth lifestyle, which is my initials, Sarah Con Luna, um, he took it and he made a logo for me. So I was, it was, you know, it luckily he can do a lot of, even like some of the graphics and stuff. He like, goes up on Canva and just shares it with me. And he's like, oh, I made this. this." I'm like, oh, thanks. Like those two week out and one week out posts. Yeah. He made those one day and was like, I made these so you can use them if you want. And I was like, okay. No, (laughs) I'm I'm excited to like see you continue to do your thing with like the coaching end because like obviously as someone who's been coaching you for a long time, um, like I've always suspected that you would be able to, to be a pretty good coach. Typically you can see it in people who are good clients because they understand what is needed from the other end to make the coach's life easier. So like if you can be a good client and you can retain things, you can, you know, do exactly what's asked of you. Like you understand like where to ask questions versus where to just kind of like settle in and like get comfortable <laughs> and like understand it's going to sometimes suck. Um, yeah. Usually good clients that have like the knowledge base, the technical skills and that have the drive are going to be able to be pretty good coaches. Like that's that's one of the things that like I used to look for whenever we were hiring was that like, I was like, okay, like who's a good client of mine that like I just really enjoyed 
mm-hmm. that they were always like awesome on top of their shit, like never causing any problems. Like that's someone who you can very easily be like, you can be a coach. Like we can yeah. definitely do this. So I've always knew that you known that you'd be able to do it. Um, it's just, dude, running, running a business is like, it's a big step and it's like a big commitment and yeah. it's, it's hard to, hard to take that chance on yourself too. A hundred percent. That was definitely one of the hardest things. And I, I, cause I knew I, I talked to Lewis about it, you know, probably a year over a year ago where I was like saying I wanted to do it. And, you know, I, so it took me a while to take that leap, but you know, just as I tell my clients, like you have to take that leap of faith because otherwise you don't know what's going to happen. Like you'll always wonder why, what could have been, you know, could I have lost this weight sooner? Could I, have, you know, decrease the chance of this happening or anything like that if you and I'm somebody who does look back and say well, what if I would have you know done that instead so taking that chance on myself was definitely challenging but it's definitely one of the best things I did no and I obviously love to hear that I love to hear that um be, just because like we've had such a, a good relationship for such a long time <laughs> and I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility to say that you know that we're like much more close as friends and coach client at this point mm-hmm. like you know, like if even if we were to not work together we would still be friends yeah uh, and that's actually something that like i found is is challenging in like a coach client or like a professional setting and relationship is it makes it better whenever there is a friendship component right mm-hmm. but a friendship component could also make it more complicated Sometimes you you don't you, you don't want to say because even with my friend like in the beginning it was hard because like I knew she did like to do cardio so I was like I don't want to make her do cardio but I'm like she yeah oh you have like <laughs> so like it's it's hard because you don't want to like make them feel bad or do something they don't want to do or you know word things a certain way like you would someone else but you have to just because and and the big thing too is like because they're your friend you want them to succeed but you don't want to put like put any strain on that friendship either. Yeah, I, I got to a point where I refused to take on any of my friends or family as clients. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because it would inevitably strain the friendship or the relationship whenever you had to talk to someone at a client level, right? And there's there's that natural hierarchy of power mm-hmm. with coach and with a client. Um, and as much as you try and level that, it's, right. all, it's always there, right? Like that's always present. Um, but whenever you take a friend in as a client and introduce them into that like hierarchical power structure, it it makes it weird. It makes it very weird. And like, even if you want what's absolutely best for your friend as a client mm-hmm. and they absolutely want to listen, they want to adhere and they're, they're trying super hard, there's going to be a time where you have to like sit them down and talk and like kind of like give them a, a stern talking to and be like, hey, yeah. shit together, like, yeah, but X Y Z, you're fucking up. No, and I think the difference is too though. We were coach client before we became friends. Exactly. And like we were definitely a coach client relationship until we started talking SpongeBob beats twenty four seven. Then I think we yeah. became friends. <laughs> but I, I think I think that's the way to do it. Uh, yeah. I think you have to be very careful. So anyone who's getting into coaching, mm-hmm. you have to be very cautious about trying to fill their roster at the beginning with family and friends. Because right. As easy as that feels like it should be to do, because those are the people that are going to most support you, mm-hmm. they're also going to ask for discounts. They're going to be shitty clients. They're always going to yeah. be 
falling off or, you know, lacking accountability or they're, sometimes they're more demanding. Like they expect yeah. that they can just text you at all times and ask, you know, work related problems or just get you on, on the phone and like mm -hmm. your ear off about all of their issues that they're having. And it's like, if you take a friend or family member in and make them a client, there are no boundaries present. You can't, you can't construct those boundaries yeah. that inevitably have to be there in that coach client relationship. Whereas mm -hmm. the opposite way, if you bring people in that you don't have that prior familiarity or relationship with, mm -hmm. but that friendship develops as just a byproduct of like, mm -hmm. you know, and just the way that you coach or the way that you you receive coaching as a client, like that's good. You want that. Like you, right. you want a good friendly relationship with all of your clients, granted, like within boundaries, right? Like that's another, right. that's another big thing. <laughs> but, um, but like that is something that every coach should strive for. Like you should want all of your clients to like absolutely love you mm -hmm. as a friend and view you as a friend because like- You want them comfortable telling you stuff too. Well, yeah, yeah. And like, there's also that level of trust that comes with like the friendship because you know that that person actually cares about you. Right. Like, it's not just a paycheck or it's not just another number. It's not just mm -hmm. another, another like, you know, tick mark on an Excel spreadsheet. It's right. a person that you care about. And as that friendship develops, like that loyalty gets built. Like you even said it earlier, like you're stuck with me forever. Yeah. <laughs> but like, those are good things, right? Like that's something that you should like really strive to develop. And I feel like for me, like I've for better or for worse, always really tried to develop good relationships with all of my clients. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, for better or for worse, like there are definitely times where I wish that I would have had more boundaries. Um, because if you try to be friends with everyone, like some people will take advantage of that and, and they'll try and like throw you into that friend bucket and out of the coach bucket. And, and Oh yeah. Sometimes that becomes pretty problematic if if there aren't those intrinsic understandings of like where the power dynamic should be. So that's another thing. But just in general, like I think that one of the things that's allowed us to be successful in this coach-client relationship is the fact that like we've focused heavily on becoming friends over the years and like oh yeah, allowing that people. Lost. Yeah, like I hope that for you, you'll also take that and implement that aspect of that quality into your own coaching and your own business too yeah i i you know the clients that i had like the ones i've had for a longer period of time definitely have opened up to me about more and stuff like that versus even the ones that just started you know i've had some that started like two or three weeks ago and they you know we've become they they're comfortable telling me things that you know should be important for a coach client relationship well especially if you're going to be talking about like sensitive issues like oh all the time yeah who, who? one of the questions in my thing you know digestion it's important you talk a lot about poop and blood and if you're a coach you got to get familiar and comfortable with poop and blood yeah exactly <laughs> no, i think that's a great place to end actually so um dude i really appreciate you doing this with me uh thank you it's obviously been something that we've been kind of holding off on on the the, the pending docket for a bit yeah but, yeah um but no, before we dip out of here, I would love for you to drop some plugs on where people can find you, like some links, some yeah. some social media, some maybe, you know, applications for like where people can can find some more about yeah. you. So my the best way to get in contact with me is definitely on Instagram. Um SCON28 is my Instagram. Um there is a link in the bio that has my one-on-one -on -one coaching app and all of that stuff. Um 
my email is in there as well. So you can always email me, but it's scon28 at gmail.com. Uh, those are pretty much the best ways to get in contact with me. I don't really have anything else. Uh, I would say Instagram is probably my number one source of like communication with people. Beautiful. No, that's awesome. We'll definitely put those links in the, the show notes and make sure that people have access to that and they can get a hold of you if they want to. But that's it. Oh, and I do have a YouTube for my dogs. I just started a YouTube short for my dogs. Lex and we will not forget that. We will not forget that. That is very important. So we will definitely keep that in. So, people's faces. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Thank you for doing this with me. Um, and I will let you get back to your Sunday afternoon. All right. Sounds wonderful. Thank you. Bye, girl. Bye.